It isn't new that being separated into different groups of people divides us in powerful ways, even to the point of being enemies. And this week in America, we will elect a new president. Our country is split into groups that are now more than ever see each other as the enemy. It's an animosity that has grown during my lifetime. And a few weeks ago, Larry and I were driving through the Pennsylvania countryside and we saw this flag in, flying in a business that said, a liberal free zone. And I imagine there are similar stories against conservatives. We not only don't agree, but we have in many ways become enemies of one another. Jesus spoke to a crowd of people in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that knew what it was like to be different to the other groups around them. They were Jewish, which meant that they lived separate from separate lives from non-Jews or the Gentiles. They also were an oppressed people. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so the Romans clearly were the enemy. Today, we continue to look at Jesus's teaching on how to live in the kingdom of God, specifically in regards to our enemies. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. Jesus starts out by reminding them of the Jewish teaching to love your neighbor. We, of course, remember the question that is later asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? Or what was really behind that question, who do I have to love? And Jesus then answers with the story of the Good Samaritan. But here Jesus says, you also have heard to hate your enemy. And that's tricky because the Jewish scripture doesn't actually say that anywhere. Certainly it quotes people that hate their enemy. There are Psalms that say, I hate those who oppose God. But hating your enemy wasn't a teaching, but it was a practice. To hate the ruling Roman soldiers hate the tax collector who used their position to take advantage of their own Jewish people, to hate the Gentile or the Samaritan or the Jew from another sect. And so Jesus says, I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for the Roman rulers and soldiers and people. Pray for the tax collector taking your money. And it's easy to love the people that are good to you. Even the tax collector does that. But if you want to be in the kingdom of God, it's going to be harder. In the kingdom of God, you have to love your enemy. And love not just like humans, but love the way God the Father loves. And that's really hard stuff. Praying for your enemy is hard enough, but loving your enemy like God does is much harder. Because we have to look at the way God loves. And God's love isn't tolerance. His example of love is actually being with the enemy in proximity and presence. It's longing and working for the good of the enemy. And so praying for your enemy then is not just something you can do out of obedience, like fine, I'll pray for him. Instead, it looks more like God. 
being in hope of reconciliation. And that's not easy. But look at Jesus' example. We see him eating with tax collectors, going to the Roman soldier's home, making a Samaritan the hero in his story. Even how he recruits his first followers, he recruits a tax collector named Matthew, who wrote this gospel that we're focusing on. He also recruits a zealot named Simon, a man that sought violence against those collaborating with the Roman government. So here these guys are together. They were clearly enemies, and now they're working together to follow Jesus. I want us to look at that last verse again, the verse that sums up all of Jesus' previous teaching. Verse 48 says, Be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. So the NIV translation uses the word perfect instead of whole. And most likely Jesus would have been using an Aramaic word that meant unblemished or whole. It's a word Jesus uses on other occasions, and it doesn't really mean sinless as much as it means complete devotion. In the Gospel of Luke, he uses the phrase for this message, be merciful as your father is merciful. And that kind of helps us see a bit of what God means by perfect or whole, that it's his love for all that is perfect, that's whole, that's completely devoted. The expectation Jesus is asking here is that his followers are to love all because God loves all. And it's a very similar concept to the one we looked at last week with that idea of being pure in heart. Perfect or whole or pure is tied to love. We love our enemies because we love God. So when I was planning for this teaching series, I saw that after covering the Beatitudes or the Blesseds that we looked at for three weeks, um, a few paragraphs down from that would be a teaching on loving your enemies. And I knew that it would fall on the week before the election. And I knew that at the very least, I would need to study this message for myself. But I didn't know exactly where the teaching would go. So over the last five years of my own study, my understanding of what the good news of the gospel really has grown. It's grown because I started reading theologians and Bible scholars and listening to pastors of different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And what I learned was the importance of the concept of shalom. It was everywhere I read, everywhere that I listened to. And I know, I know I talk about it a lot, but it has completely changed so much of my understanding of the kingdom and what Jesus was and is doing and what the mission he is calling us to work towards every day. Shalom, the concept of wholeness, of perfect relationships between man and God and between one another and between man and creation. Jesus is our shalom. And what he has always been about is reconciling relationships between God and us, between one another, and between us and nature. And I want to be a part of making that happen in our community and in our world. And so what is the first step to that? Think about that for a moment. What's the first step? Is it to break the chains of the oppressed, to heal the sick? And we certainly see Jesus doing that. But let me read a quote from Scott McKnight's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that really rattled me. It's the kind of stuff that you read that you don't really want to hear because you know deep down in your soul that it's true and you need to hear it. 
Here's the quote. Jesus's kingdom is marked by shalom. To love and pray for the enemy is the first step towards shalom. Let me read that again. Jesus's kingdom is marked by shalom. To love and pray for the enemy is the first step towards shalom. I started to think about how Jesus started out his ministry, and a lot of it was about spending time with the enemy. He went with the tax collector, the Samaritan, the Roman centurion, and the religious leaders hated Jesus for it. Why? Because they were the enemy. They were wrong. And you don't hang out with people who are wrong. They live the wrong way. They believe the wrong thing. They do harm to people I love. We don't spend time with them or go to their homes or eat at the table. They are our enemy. And yet that's what we see Jesus do. Sometimes because of the context, we're so removed from it. We don't have anything really against tax collectors or Roman soldiers. And so we miss what's really happening here. But imagine if you replace that with a white supremacist. Jesus sits down with white supremacists and Nazis. I think we'd all have a problem with that and think, no, he shouldn't be doing that. They're the enemy. They're wrong. They're hurting people. Here's the thing. I don't want the first step towards Shalom to be about loving my enemy. And I know why. I don't want it to be the first step because it means I have to do the work on myself first. I can't hate my enemy and work to feed the poor and heal the sick. Because the first step towards shalom is to love and pray for my enemy. And that means that shalom work is whole person work. It requires inner work on ourselves. We cannot be one thing on the outside and then something else on the inside. So what does that mean? It means that we pray for the flourishing of the people that we don't agree with, who don't like us, who treat us badly and maybe even hate us and hurt us. It also means that we see them as loved by God, as image bearers of God, as God's beloved child. So this week I listened to a podcast by Pete Scazzaro, who's the creator of the Emotionally Healthy Skills class, along with his wife, Jerry, and we teach that uh, class every year here at Everyday Church. So in the podcast called Seeing God in the Eyes of Your Enemy, Scazzaro discussed the teaching of the philosopher and Jewish theologian Martin Buber. And in Buber's most famous book, I and thou, he talks about the difference between relationships that are I and it and ones that are I and thou. I and it relationships describe relationships where acceptance is conditional. It's often conditional on how the person in the, in the relationship that I person benefits from the it. You're an it to me if I am only in the relationship with you for how it benefits me, how it makes me feel, or how it makes me look. But the I and thou relationship is quite different. In this relationship, the I looks upon the other as an image bearer of God, whose differences are something to understand as the other's uniqueness, not to control 
or to judge. So in order to strive to have an I and thou relationship, Schizero suggests asking yourself three questions. And I think these questions are helpful to us no matter if we're in a disagreement with the person we love the most or a person we might see as an enemy. Now remember that listening to someone is so close to loving a person that most of the time it's indistinguishable for the person that is being listened to. That means that the call to love your enemy is often going to mean truly listening to them. And so here are the three questions to ask yourself. Number one, am I fully present or am I distracted? Am I fully present or am I distracted? Am I present in what the person is saying or is my mind racing to figure out a response or how the person is wrong? The second question, am I loving or judging? Am I listening to understand or am I judging their beliefs and their motivations and their behaviors and how they've hurt me? Question number three, am I open or closed to change? Am I open or closed to change? Am I entering this conversation sure that I am right and only in it to convince the other person that I'm right? Or am I open to the possibility that I might need to change in some way? This is not an easy thing to do. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that we can do it well without the gift of the Holy Spirit. I heard another preacher, Greg Boyd, talk about how our brains work um, when we're confronted with the beliefs that are different than our own. During studies of the brain, they found that someone who's confronted with messages that are different than our own beliefs, that the area of the brain that's activated is in the, the brainstem. And this is the area of our brain where heart rate, our body temperature, our breathing are controlled. The part of the brain that's deactivated when we hear uh, messages that are different than our own beliefs is the frontal lobe where rational thought happens and problem solving occurs. So essentially when you hear a message that it's in conflict with your own beliefs, your body goes into a fight or flight. It reacts as if you're in real danger. And so your blood pressure goes up, your breathing quickens, your heart races. No wonder we get so upset when we hear a different point of view. Our brain is telling us to do that. So you know what happens when we hear something that supports our belief? So the pleasure receptors in our brain are activated. Very similar to like when you eat a really good dessert or maybe even have sex. You really enjoy it. You're happy. You even want to have some more. So think about that for a moment. Think about scrolling through news articles that agree with your side or your candidate or your beliefs. It feels really good. It makes you feel better. But does it help us love our enemies? To see them as a thou instead of an it. So over the last 15 years, uh, one of Larry's closest friends is somebody who's very different than him. Um, I don't know that 15 years ago they would have expected to be as good of friends as they are. They have a lot of different beliefs. They have raised their kids very differently. And 
I know that they have grown to be so close that they would do almost anything for one another. And our families really love each other deeply as well, even though we are very different. And I was thinking about that uh, this past summer when we were visiting them um, and I was in their home and I was thinking about how comfortable and how loved and known and safe I felt in their home, even despite our differences. It was a feeling as if I was going home, almost like when I came home from college, that feeling of just relaxing and being at ease. And it didn't make sense because all these differences we have normally could separate us. And then I started thinking about the I and thou concept. And it started to make sense why our relationship works. Years ago, as Larry and Chad first started discussing their differences, it never really changed the love and respect that they showed from one another. another. So um, the first discussion that they had was about alcohol and Christians drinking alcohol. And um, when was it okay? Was it okay? When was it okay to do it around people that you didn't know? Um, and I remember Larry coming home and, and telling me about this conversation. And I'd had those conversations before and they were tense. And um, I don't think anybody changed each other's minds, but their relationship was definitely hurt because of how the, relation, the discussion went. And Larry told me, no, it didn't go like that at all. They, the questions came across much more as curiosity instead of judgment that they felt heard um, by one another and not judged. And those conversations have continued over the years about many different topics. And I would say most of the time they don't change each other's mind, but maybe sometimes they do just by sharing life together. But I am so thankful for our relationship despite our real differences Differences that will be evident probably this week. So this week, half of the country will vote differently than the other half of the country. And no matter who wins, our first step for Shalom is the same. We must love and pray for the enemy. We must see them as thou, as image bearers of God, as his beloved let me read that quote one more time. Jesus's kingdom is marked by shalom. To love and pray for the enemy is the first step towards shalom.